Welcome to the Anchored in Christ podcast. This is a place where we want to help young people draw closer to God and in doing so develop the confidence to take ownership of their journey, goals and purpose through biblical teachings and conversations. Our facilitator will be Ria Mudao and each episode she will be bringing you lessons on the Bible chapter by chapter from Genesis to Revelation. Our goal is to help you maintain or build your connection with God through His written word and to remind you of His character, His promises and your future together with Him. Thank you so much for pressing play today. Please don't forget to follow and share as this will help us grow our audience. Now let us begin. Ultila to all, good evening. Um, I know that today we have a lot of regulars with us, so I'm not sure if I should still be introducing myself. But to those who are new, and I will be your host this evening once again. Today we will be discussing the life of Joseph and looking at chapters um, 37 to 41 of Genesis. We are still in the book of Genesis. There are so many themes that are covered in these chapters from jealousy of or the green-eyed monster, some would call it, to favoritism, prophetic dreams, sibling rivalry, competition, and dare I even say fashion in the form of a multicolored coat. So much happens here when we see Joseph rising from ashes um, and soaring up like an eagle. We see him go through so much in his life. And, but the most beautiful thing that we get to witness in the life of Joseph is God choosing a young person to do his work. And we get to see this young person do the work of God. And we also get to see his struggles and see him navigate through those struggles. I'm really, really excited about this one as a young person myself. And I love learning about Joseph because there's so much that I too get to learn from Joseph. Um, but a few housekeeping rules. Before we get into it, if you have a question, please feel free to unmute your mic and to ask the question. However, if you are still shy, you are more than welcome to write your question in the chat box and we will ensure that our facilitator will get to it. If you do not have a question, please ensure that your mic and your video remains switched off um, or muted at all times. I would now like to hand over to Bangani, who will lead us into prayer. Um, thank you, Sanele. Um, hi, everyone. Can we please bow down so we can pray? Um, Lord, we come before you at this time. Thank you for the day that you have given us. We thank you for protecting us throughout the day. To the month of day. We come before you because um, may you be with us in this session. May your Holy Spirit be with us and may your angels be present. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Kulu. Um, do we still even need to introduce our facilitator at the stage? I'm sure we all know our wonderful facilitator, Uriya Mudao, who will be taking us through Genesis, um, the chapters of 37 to 41. Ria, I'd like to hand over to you. Please can you guide us? Thank you so much, Sanele. Um, good evening to everyone. You know, I actually got quite emotional when I was listening to 
the song that we started with because I think before today actually I, I had quite a hectic day and a part of me felt like but God why do we have to study so much because there's just so much that we have to study to get to know you and when I listened to that song it actually gave me a sense of peace of to know God we really have to study scripture and my prayer for everyone is that, you know, this must really get you to a point where you understand God better. Oh, I'm getting emotional. Or you know God better because, yeah, it's it's not easy. I nearly said today I thought, I'm not, let's not go ahead with it. But I, I thank everyone um, for joining. All righty. Um, as I go back to my normal self. Today, we're going to study Joseph. Um, I actually forget about him. You know, when people ask me, who is your favorite character in the Bible? Um, I hardly mention him, but, you know, as I was studying during the week, the life of Joseph, I actually realized that he is one of the people that I like in the Bible, not only because there's nothing bad written about him, but I think his life is, it shows you what from rags to riches mean. It shows you how God can change things in a split second from prison to king. It shows you how God can mean it for good. Like the slide that we have, you know, I think he says it somewhere in chapter 45 when his brothers visit him and they start apologizing and feeling bad. And he, he just says, you don't have to feel bad because God meant it for good. And, you know, before I want to go, before I go into the life of Joseph, I want, I just want to say, if, if looking at the positive things in life was a person, it would be Joseph. Because in everything, in everything, he just found a way to see God and to look at the brighter side of things and just to say, oh, well, if I'm in prison, so be it. Maybe God wants to do something with it. So I think that's the main lesson. But when we go, as we go into the life, next slide, of, of Joseph, Joseph's life is actually um, split into three things. And I, I see it as the training of Joseph because God does not put you in a position where, you know, you will not be able to handle things. He trains you. The training is not so nice because it comes with tests but God actually wants you to get to a certain point in life and the second part that I see in Joseph's life and we see around chapter 37 it's the testing of Jacob when God starts testing him and saying yeah before you become prime minister of Egypt we need to sort out a few little things about you and you will see that chapter 37 actually shows you a young Joseph, 17 years old, quite naive, says anything that he wants to say. He doesn't know, you know, when to stop, you know, but God deals with that in prison so that he, it gets to a point where when he is prime minister of Egypt, he is suitable. And when we go to the next slide, we're going to see chapter 37. Um, and I will go straight into scripture. I'll skip 37 verse 1 and I'll go to 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. And as I always say every week, I prefer that we all opening our Bibles and reading. It is so much better than just listening. The word actually speaks to you when you're reading your Bible. So 
Joseph, a young man of 17, I did say he was a young man, he was 17 years old, was tending flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhar and sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. I see a teacher's pet, <laughs> you know, clearly, I don't know if his father had sent him to go and check out what his brothers were doing, but yeah, he comes back and, you know, he brings, brings a bad report about his brothers. Now, Israel, who is Israel? Anyone that is, <laughs> uh, that can, Remember, we talked about the changing of names. Who's Israel? I see a hand, Sanele. I'm Jacob. Yes, Israel is Jacob. Now you're going to see the change in the names. He was, we, talk, we talked about Jacob for the last uh, 10 uh, chapters. And now you're going to see the Bible starts referring to him as Israel because the angel changed, changed his name and said, from now on, you're no longer going to, become, to be called Jacob. You are going to be Israel. Now Israel, verse three, now Israel loved Jacob more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he had made, and he made, him a, and he made a rope for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and, can, and could not speak a kind word to him. And this, we, we have been talking about parental favoritism because Parental favoritism is the flavor of the, 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 the family tree of Abraham. We saw it with Abraham. We saw it with Isaac, where Rebecca loved Jacob and, and uh, I, Isaac loved Esau. We saw it with Jacob as well, where he loved, Le where he loved Rachel, sorry, more than Leah. And we're seeing it now where he loves Joseph. And this, this chapter highlights a lot of risks that come with parental favoritism because you see because his father loved him and clearly he didn't hide it i mean he he, he did something a robe for him the young son gets the special robe and it's just it is not good especially when it's this clear that this one is my best because they got to hate their brother because they could see how their father loved him more than more than them, you know. So the tunic of many colors, it's an interesting demonstration of favoritism because it seems as if Jacob was very open about it. Next slide, when we go to five, Joseph had a dream. And when he told he when, when he told this to his brother, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this, I had a dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field where they, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So he had a dream. Eight, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And I did say in the beginning, I, I think he was quite young. So I think he was saying this out of innocence. You know, I had a dream and it's quite interesting. I'm going to be your boss. It was true because this will happen. But I guess it was, you know, was it the right time to say it? Was it the way that he should have said it? And when we go to nine, then he had another dream. I mean, clearly he's going to share it with them. He's done it before. He told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Mark that down and study Revelation 12. I do not want us to go to Revelation now because it is quite complex, but you will see this phrase 
opening up the book of Revelation. And when we get to Revelation, I will bring you back to the scenario. But we are going to see this again, um, the dream of the sun, the moon, the 11 stars bowing down to me. This is, a, this is an analogy that God is going to use again in Revelation 12. And you, you need to understand the story in order to understand what God is going to be talking about in Revelation 12. 10 says, when he told his father, as well as his brother, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down? Uh, bow down to the ground before you. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Mark 11, I think Jacob knew. Jacob knew that this was true because in, in verse 11, it says his father kept the matter in mind. I honestly think Jacob rebuked him to protect him. He recognized what was happening. He, he knows. I mean, Jacob is an example of you can be the younger one, but still get the blessing because his elder brother did not get it. And it was what God wanted. I think he rebuked him. I mean, Jacob is now experienced. Israel, sorry, is now experienced. He knows God better. They've, they've walked together. He knows how God works. You know, so he knows that these dreams are showing the elevation of, Jake, of, of Joseph in his household. But he's trying to protect him because maybe he has seen that there's something, you know, that the brothers don't like about him, Joseph and 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, and I'm sure we all remember Shechem, right? It's where their sister Dinah was, was raped and the brothers, you know, they, yeah, they did a whole lot of things. They killed the entire nation. So they were going there. Uh, you, you, and, and Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. And another thing. Shechem was very far. So most people that want to teach about parental um, supervision, I've seen a lot of scholars using this around parental supervision because when you study the distance between Shechem and where they were, it took about, a, it was a 20 hour walk. So it was nearly a full day of, of Jacob saying to Joseph, you know, go and get your brothers 20 hours away. So there's a lot of studying around, you know, parental supervision and, and all, all that, because this is a risk as well. 14, so he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields. This is another thing about parental supervision. A man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They, they have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And Dothan, apparently it's another two, three hours because it's 15 miles away, away from where he was. So he walked further. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him in a distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. One thing that I forgot to say when I, be, I started with this is that there is a lot of parallels. There is a lot of similarities between the life of Jesus Christ and the life of Joseph. And if you take time to study, the life of Joseph is between chapters 37 and chapters, chapter 50. 
And just start marking down. I wouldn't want to go into that now because there's a lot of similarities, but I will point out whenever we pick it up, but there's a lot of similarities where you can just study and bathe yourself in the word of God and just check what do you, when do you see Christ? You will see why most people say the, the Bible, the Bible is one library. You, you find Christ in Genesis and you find Joseph in Revelation, and that's how it works. But you can actually see a lot of similarities. Um, so they saw him from a distance, and before they reached him, they plotted to kill him. We know, and I'm saying this because we know uh, that Christ said the same thing: is one of his brothers plotted that he will be killed. So 19 says, "Here comes the dreamer." They said to each other, "Come now, let's kill him and throw him in one of these dry wells." And they and say that an animal devoured him, then we'll see what comes of his dream. Clearly they're upset. Clearly that dream did not make them happy. And they think if we, we kill him or we do something to it, then we get rid of, of him. 21, then Reuben. And if you remember, we've studied the firstborn, the secondborn. Reuben is the firstborn. And it makes sense why he's the one that's saying he, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let us not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into these dry wells here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. And you will see when we get to 29, the reason why Reuben was saying, let's throw him into a pit. He wanted to go back later and take him out. But I don't want to say the brothers had a plan, but God had a plan because he had to go to Egypt. It, it was God's plan. So 23, when, so when Jay's, Jacob came to his brothers, they stripped him off of the robe uh, that he was wearing. Uh, and they took him and threw him into the drywall. The drywall was empty. There was no water in it. 25, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, myra, and they were on, the, on their way to take them to Egypt. Judah, mark that. Judah is the one that sold his brother the lion of Judah, Judah said to his brother, what will we gain if we kill our brother? Sorry, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover, cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Um, next slide, Sanile. Um, so Judah, they say they'll kill him and whatnot. And Judah says, uh, let's rather kill, let's kill him. Let's, let's not kill him. Let's sell him off to this Ishmaelites that are going to Egypt. So when, so when the Midianite merchants came by, the brothers pulled out, pulled Joseph out of the drywall and sold him for 20 shekels. And another parallel. I know Christ was sold for 30 shekels, but Joseph was sold for 20 shekels to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And 29, when Reuben returned, he went back because he really wanted, he really wanted to save his brother. When he, he saw that Jacob was, Joseph was not there. He tore his clothes. He went back to the brothers and said, the boy is, in, is not there. Where can I turn now? They, then they got jo Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped it into a, the robe into the blood. They took it back to the father. Um, and you know, you know how the story ends. They go back to J Jacob, Israel and say, 
um, Joseph has been killed. Is this the robe? And he agrees that this is the robe. And then their brother was gone. But I noted quite a number of, of parallels that we find to the life of Christ. But as, as I said, there's quite a lot, a, a lot of, of, of um, parallels. We take time to study the life of Joseph. You will find a lot, you know, the robe that people are after, which is Christ's kingship. He was loved by his father. He was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of questions people say, can we really make this a parallel? Um, you know, Christ was 30, but read Colossians 1 verse 18, Mark Colossians 1 verse 18 there, and he was betrayed and sold by his brother as it happened to Christ. So that is the end. And, and ironically, before we close, ironically, Jacob had deceived his father, or Israel had deceived his father using his brother's tunic and goat skin. And now his sons are doing the same thing to him. And I always say, you know, my grandfather apparently used to say to his kids, you know, whatever you are doing to me, your kids will even do what is worse. And we're seeing them doing it here uh, because now they're even selling him off. At least he didn't sell off Esau. He only, you know, wore the clothes and whatnot, and he deceived Isaac. But now his kids are doing even worse because they thought of death. So, yeah, what you do to your parents can come back even worse, you know, uh, because you have breached the law, which is respecting your parents. And that is the end of chapter 37. Chapter 38. This is a chapter that most, oh, actually, sorry, Sanele, I, I actually put a lot of, of similar, yeah, you can go to the next slide. Differences or similarities or parallels, parallels between Joseph and, and Jesus. You can study that at your own time. Of course, we're gonna share the slides. The next slide, please. I think we also have yes, uh, another parallel between Joseph and and Christ, and you can read that as well. So you can go to the next slide and go to chapter thirty-eight. I don't know if there's anyone that studied chapter 38, um, but this is a chapter that most people have said, this chapter is not fit because this chapter does not talk about Joseph. It goes and talks about Judah. And it is, it is a very, most people say weird, but I always say, if you find something that looks like it's not supposed to be there in the Bible, then that is a calling for you to study even more. Why is it there? And that, that is chapter eight. It's, it's not about Jacob, it's not about Joseph, it is about Judah, but it ties in to Christ somehow. So let us start. Um, all right, I will start off at one, yeah. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. Hira. Uh, there Judah met the daughter, the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her made love to her, she became pregnant, gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son who was named Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It, it was at Kezib that he gave birth to his son. So I put the, the table there so that you can understand. Judah marries um, Shua, a Canaanite, and mark this, it was wrong. He was not allowed to marry a Canaanite woman. So mark that he had a gentle wife. He had a gentle wife, which was against the law. So he married a gentle wife. They had three kids, uh, Onan and Shilla. And when we go to the next slide, uh, uh, verse six. So Judah 
got a wife for her, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So he got a wife, you can see on the slides, his name, her name was Tamar, but her, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. We do not know, the scripture does not tell us what he did, but we just know that um, he did something wrong and God killed him. All right, so when we go to eight, then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring to his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's eyes. So the Lord put a death to him. <laughs> The older people will, will probably understand what, what happened here. I will not go into the detail and I hope no one asks me a question, but just to explain a little bit of what happened. This, this was law. This was not wrong. When Judah said that to Onan saying, take Tamar as your wife, it was, it's called the law of Leverite marriage. And we are going to study about it when we get to the book of Deuteronomy 25. It was not wrong. What Judah, Judah asked from Onan was the law, that if, if, your hus, if your husband dies at a certain time when he's not yet had any children, then you can take your, your husband's brother so that the generation can continue. So I, I th it was a practice in those days. And it, it comes from, and if you can go to the next slide, Sanele, I explained a little bit of what the leverage uh, the law of leverage marriage is about. It does not come from the word Levi. Most people think, oh, it's Levi. No, it comes from a Latin word, which means husband's brother. So it was a situation where there was a widow and there was no child. It would be passed over to, to the brother. And I think we still have some African cultures that follows that. So that was not wrong. But I think uh, the biggest scene here for Onan, what Onan did, um, he took advantage of a social custom. Or let me say, he took advantage of the law of God to satisfy his lust because he did whatever he was doing, but he never wanted to have a child with his sister-in-law and that offended God. Because and we are when we deal with the line of Judah, we are dealing with our redemption. We are dealing with Christ because it was clear in God's picture, Judah had to be the one that takes over from Jacob to push on the line to Christ. So when Onan did that, he, messed, he was messing up God's plan. So besides any other thing, he was using God's law to satisfy his own less. But the intention and the principle of the law was to grow the family. And he, he was not about that. He, he, he was messing up God's plan. And if you go to the next slide, Sanele, it just explains further the requirements. Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 to 10, if you're interested, you can read about it. We're going to see this a lot when you study the book of Ruth, because this law is going to be applied again to Ruth in order for her to inherit. So it's, it's, it was law. It was not wrong. What Judah asked from Tamar and Onan, his son, was, was law. So God killed him. God killed Onan. So here's Judah, he has lost two sons. He has lost her and he has lost 
Onen and he has one son left, which is Shayla. He has Shayla left. And when you go to the next slide, verse 11, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shayla grows up. For he thought he may, he may die too, just like his brother. So Tamar went to live in his father's household. So Judah says, all right, I have one son left. He's still young. So what you can do is, you know, you can go and go back to your father's house and we'll call you when he's older so that you can come and continue. So after a long time, after a long time, Judah's wife died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went to Timnah to the man who was sharing his sheep and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went with him. So Judah's wife dies. And apparently, when you study what this, what this shearing of the sheep is, it, it was sort of a party or a function. It was a pagan way of doing things. It was wrong in the eyes of God, because what they would do is they would go there as widows or, or husbands that lost wives, and they would get women there and whatnot. So it was, it was not good in the eyes of God. But remember, Judah was not really living the right way. You can see from how he chose his wife. So 13 says, when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is in his way to share his sheep. She took off her widow's clothes, covered herself uh, with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance of en Enayim, which led to the road of Timnah. When she saw him, uh, uh, she had not been given to him as, oh, sorry. For she saw that Shayla had not been given to him um, as a husband. So she's taking things into her own hands. And I will try and summarize what happens here because it, it gives quite a long story. So what happens is she hears that your father-in-law is coming around for this party, sheer party, and she, she realizes that, no, but Shayla is old enough. Why am I not being given to him as a wife so that I can have a child and continue the, the bloodline? And she decides, all right, I'm going to trick my father-in-law. He's going to attend a sheer party and she sits by the side of the road. And when Judah comes there, he finds her and she presents herself to Judah and Judah takes her in for that night. And before Judah leaves, she says to him, I think she knew that things will get bad. Before Judah leaves, she says to him, give me a sign, something that I can stay with, which will prove that I was with you. And I think the Bible says that he, he left uh, the stuff that was in his hand. And I know when we read this, it seems like, okay, but how does the stuff symbolize who I am? But you know, back in the days, the stuff and all these pledges and the things that she gave to him was, it's actually like giving someone your identity document or giving someone your, your credit card, which has your name and, and everything. So later on, and I will jump on uh, to verse 20. 322. Then Judah said, Let her. Um, sorry, Sanele. Oh, yes, I'll go to 24. So then Judah leaves and then he tries to find her. He tries to find this woman. He didn't know that it is it's his daughter-in-law. He tries to find the woman and he doesn't get the woman. So he asks around, no one knows of where the woman is. And then she's pregnant with twins. So what happens is um, he goes, he hears that his daughter-in-law is pregnant and it was against the law because in terms of the law, she was not allowed to fall pregnant outside the bloodline of Judah. So we'll go to 23. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has 
or we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did say, I did send her this young goat, but I didn't find her. Uh, about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she's now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her bent to death. So adultery was punishable by death. And I mean, there's quite a number of, of books. Uh, you know, Le Leviticus 29, verse 1, Judges 15, verse 16, Jeremiah 29, verse 22. That's where you found how adultery was punishable by death. So when he said, if she's pregnant, bring her and let's kill her. Uh, so as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, I'm pregnant by the man who owns this. She shows that sign, that credit card, that stuff, that pledged, you know what? I know you're about to kill me, but the father of this children that I'm carrying is the owner of this credit card. And that is when Judah recognized them. And he says that she is more righteous, and this is in 26, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her my son Shayla, and he did not sleep with her again. When the time came, 27, if, can, can you go to the next slide, please? When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew his hand back, his brother came out and she said, this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez, Perez, I think, yeah. And the brother was named Zara. So what happened was, it was very important who the firstborn is because we studied the birthright, Jacob, Isaac, and all that. It was very important. So the other twin removed his hand. He was not the right one, put back his hand. And then the other twin came out um, and he was, so the second twin, I, know, I can explain it. The second twin was actually took the birthright because his hand was out first, even though he was not born first. Uh, I see a question. I think there's two questions. Sanele, do you mind reading my, my screen is quite small. Um, we have two questions in the chat box from 831. Um, someone asked, why was the woman sent away to her father's house instead of remaining in the household of Israel? Was she seen as bringing a curse maybe? I think Judah felt that way. I mean, the fact that he even says that she's more righteous because I refuse to give her a son, my son. So maybe Judah thought, there's something wrong with this woman. Every time I give her my sons, they die. So I think she was seen as something is not right with her. Second um, question. I, um, they don't seem to be any other questions, but I do have a question. Um, this is based on, I guess, a conversation I had with Uspiwo the other day and something I've been seeing throughout Genesis that God looks at before he chooses who he's going to call. And I guess our question was, um, how do we then as young people, because the obedience part is easy, like following the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to say it's not difficult. It is difficult, but the obedience part isn't that difficult? How do we then ensure that 
our hearts are the way that God wants them to be. How do we know? I don't know if I can say you would know. And, and I think I remember someone asking the question about um, Jacob and Esau, because when we read Romans, um, Paul makes it clear that, you know, Jacob was chosen, Esau was not, and it had nothing to do with what he did. So I think in the eyes of God, if you can just do your best, I, I honestly think, I mean, even if you look at the people that God um, uses, we're, we're studying about Judah, who is the, the, he is, you know, the greatest for us Christians, because we know that he forms the line of David and Christ and whatnot. But I, I think it's more of the intention of why you do certain things being obedient and doing what God wants you to do. The honest fact is as human beings, we can never get to a point where we say we are making God happy 100%. There's a great element of grace that comes in. But grace comes in when you it shows that you are doing your part as well. And you, when you stumble, because these people that we're reading about, they made mistakes. What Judah did here was not right. But he, you are going to see going forward, he's going to change certain things about himself and he's still going to go back and become the Judah that we all look up to. So it, it is not being, even Christ said, you can't say you are perfect while you're still living in this world. We're never going to get to a point where we are perfect. There's grace that comes in, but it's all about your intention, the purity of your heart, being good and following what God wants, wants you to do, I think that can get you to a point where, you know, God allows you or God gives you, you know, his right hand. But he's, he's always there to guide us. Um, he doesn't leave us to figure life out, you know, in a very difficult way. He is always there to guide us and show us the way. I hope I Thank answered. you so much. Yes, you did. Thank you so much. Um, I see there is more questions here. I see. Okay, why was the woman sent away? Is adultery always punishable to women only or other cases? <laughs> uh, I asked this question. Eh? I actually asked this question because what Judah did was not right. I would see that as, yeah, it was not right as well. But you find that the women were being punished. And I think it goes back to context. You know, the times in which they were living in, it was not as, as, as women did not have as much recognition as, as um, the men did. The men had more powers and, and that is a fact. Even when you read the Bible, that's why when I kept on saying, guys, Jacob had a daughter because you never hear, you only hear, Jacob and the 12 tribes, but he had Dinah, he had a daughter, you know, so it is, I think it's more of the times that they were living in, women were not as recognized, and the honest fact is, I would say it still applies in today's world, even though they do not ban us or kill us, women are more crucified when there's adultery than, than men are, it's, it's more acceptable. And, and I'm sorry to, to bring this here, but you find a lot of, you know, when we attend bridal showers, you hear, if he cheats, you know, it's not a big deal because it's, it's acceptable for, for men to do certain things. And it should not be that way because 
when people are married, um, they are all supposed to follow the law of God, regardless of whether they're a man or a woman. So I think it's a, it's a culture which we're also struggling with today, where men are allowed or boys are allowed to do anything, but women are crucified even more when they do the same thing. So I really hope to see, see a change, but it is just the way it is. I hope I answered that question, but I also asked for that uh, because, yeah, I can be a feminist at times. So going to the next slide, Sanelli, it's just a picture because I wanted you guys to like see what happened. Uh, there is there is Er, there is Onen, there is Shela. Er dies, Onen dies. Judah leaves his stuff with Tamar, thinking that it's not a big deal. Tamar falls pregnant. And then Perez and, and, and what's the other name? Zera are born. But the two boys are very, before we close off chapter 38, these guys are very, very, very important for us as Christians. And when you go to the next slide, in Ruth chapter four, verse one, when Ruth was getting married to Boaz, a lady shows up and you find it in Ruth four, verse 12, a lady shows up and starts prophesying. And if you don't understand this chapter, you will never understand what her prophecy meant. And she says that, let, let thy house, and this is Ruth and Boaz's wedding, for those that understand what happens to Ruth. And let thy house be like the house of Perez, this boy, whom Tamar bare to Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So someone comes and when Ruth is getting married and says that, let that house be blessed like the house of Paris. And if you know the story between Judah and Paris, you ask yourself, but why would that blessing come? But that was because of the, the law, which we find in Deuteronomy 23 verse two which says that, I don't like that word, but it says a bastard child shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his 10th generation shall he not enter into the congregation. So in, in terms of the law, you would go, if there was an illegitimate child, that bloodline of that illegitimate child would not inherit until you got to the 10th generation. So the law was that Paris who was seen as an illegitimate child, it was his father-in-law, the father-in-law, and it, it was not supposed to be that way. He, that lady was saying at Ruth's wedding that the blessing is going to come after the 10th generation. And the 10th generation is David. And David, that is where the blessing is, I can say, released, because the law would not have allowed either of those people that you can see, because this is our, fam our, yeah, our family line. There was Paris, there was Hezron, there was Ram, there was Am Aminadab, there was Nation, there was Sel Salmon, there was Boaz, which you read about in the book of Ruth. There was Obed, which you read about, who's, who's uh, David's grandfather. There was Jesse, who's David's father, and there was David. So David was the 10th person. In terms of the law, David, actually cleaned up the mess that was done in the house of Judah by Paris. So it is, it links to the bloodline of Christ 
and and it is that bloodline. So these two boys are very important, or let me say Paris is very important because that's where we get our, our revelation. That, that is where we accept it because that is the bloodline of Christ. He is straight in the bloodline. It did not come right. David cleaned it in terms of Deuteronomy 23. You can read the whole chapter. It will explain what has to be done, but the curse is only broken after the 10th generation. And that was David. And that is why we have chapter 38 linking to Christ. I don't know if we have any other question. I will rush. We don't have more time as usual. Chapter 39, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. So we go back. Oh, so yes, I put that verse. I actually could not find it, but, but the scepter shall not. Oh, actually it's chapter 49, Genesis 49. When, when Jacob is blessing his sons, Israel is blessing his sons. He said that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. So the kingship shall not depart from Judah. It did not come right because there was Perez and Zerah, but it had to be from that bloodline because Judah was the one that was God's chosen one. Um, if you go to the next slide, um, chapter 39. So chapter 39, we go back to Joseph's life. Um, that's why I say Judah is seen as, yeah, why is this chapter here? Going back to Joseph's life, Joseph is now in Egypt. Now um, we will read 39 verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. Mark that down. It seems to be, you will see it so many times. When he's is in prison, the Lord was, that seems to to be the highlight that seems to be the only thing that kept him going because says the lord was with joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his egyptian master when his master saw that the lord was with him guys the people around you will see the people around you will see that there is something they might not say it, but they will see when the hand of the Lord is upon you. So when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. You know, God is not only with us when things are working out that is a lie god is not only with us when things are working out and if i ask the question do you think it felt like god was with him when certain things will happen here it it, it probably didn't but it does it doesn't mean that god was not there even when it didn't feel like god is it doesn't matter how you feel about it what matters is that god is there and god is at work so how you feel you know it's not important but if god is there that is that is the only thing that matters uh so from the time five from the time he put him in charge you can go to the next slide. from the time he put it in charge of his household and all uh that he owned the lord blessed the household of the egyptian because of job take joseph so the egyptian house became blessed because of Joseph being there, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house, 
in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had to Joseph's care. He was very smart. He realized that the only way to get things right, I must just get Joseph. So with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, which can be a problem because this is why he got into a problem. He had a problem. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Uh, you know, God's presence, God's presence did not exempt him from the trials. The Lord was with him, yes, but he still had trials that he had to, he had to deal with. You know, and, and most of us say, but we say no weapon formed upon you shall pro prosper. What happened to Job? But if it's God's plan, it is God's plan. And the question becomes, where was God? Where was God when all this was happening? You know, but you need to know that we do not serve. We do not serve a God who gives us what we want. We serve a God who gives us what we need. And that's it. He does not give us what we want because we think we want it. He gives us what we need. So when you go to eight, he refused. Joseph refused and he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything else he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And, they, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, Day after day, he refused. So clearly this was not a once of temptation. This was not a once of temptation. This was happening day after day. And God was with him. He kept on refusing. And what looks like the absence of God is often a masked version of God's work. You know, the, the, the Jewish people say, coincidence is not a kosher word meaning there's no such thing as a coincidence or luck or them they say coincidence is when god is working behind the scenes you know because they they always say god must be there somehow he must be doing something you know so when you get to to seven to nine um the wife of 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 potiphar clearly sees that this guy is not going to give in uh, it doesn't matter what I do. He's not going to give in. Now, temptation is not always your fault, but your response is your responsibility. Temptations will come, but how you respond to that temptation is what you are going to be found guilty of. Sanela, I see your hand is up. Yes, we have a question um, from Snare. She asked, through attending the Bible study, I'm realizing that there are so many laws we no longer practice. There are so many laws that as Christians, we no longer follow or practice because they are no longer applicable in this day and age. How then do you determine which laws to follow and be obedient to? I think when we study the book of Leviticus, because we're actually going to break down the law uh, to civil law, uh, criminal law, 
and the constitution. And you find that you will find that in the book of um, Exodus is a bit of civil law because they are traveling. Um, and then you will find um, criminal law in the book of Leviticus and you will find the constitution, which is in the book of Deuteronomy. And when we study the laws, you will see that some laws, even when it got to um, Moses, or let me say Joshua, where they were going to getting to the promised land, some laws were already being changed. So some of the things like maybe the law of leverage marriage, it still exists. And I think we also need to bear in mind that there's Judaism and there's Christianity. Those people were studying Judaism. Christianity only comes with Christ. And what Christ changes, even though he says that, I am not here to, to remove the laws because Christ makes it clear that the laws have to be complete. The work must be complete for us to get to a certain point where the laws will not be applicable. So there are cert there's certain things which it was in terms of Judaism that had to be it had to be done but when we move to Christianity Christ would hash out certain things if, let me not even with Judaism you will see when we move to numbers where the laws certain laws Moses will tweak and say yeah this is how it was because you guys had this and if you you look at certain laws there's a lot of laws that God gave to them very early because of certain needs that they had. But when Christ comes, he says things like divorce. Moses allowed them to do it. But when Christ came, he said, no, he allowed you to do it because he could see your heart. But with Christianity, I don't want it to happen. So there's, you will see that some, some of the things Jesus will hash out, some of the things Moses and Joshua as time goes, but some of the things, and we need to, to go back to that as, as Christianity, we have stopped doing, but no one said we must stop. Some of the things we have stopped doing and no one said we must stop. And I think that is the reason why we live in such a society. The laws of God sort of brought order. There was so much order that was brought by the laws of God. But now when we have let go of quite a lot of things, we are living in a society which we cannot bear ourselves. So they were there to protect us. We walked away from them and we are living in an unbearable world because we, we've moved away from what God gave us as boundaries and barriers. But I'll make sure that as we study for, we study further, I will highlight that you know, these laws, some of them fell away, but bear in mind that with Judaism, even the most of the things that you're gonna see, the, you know, how they follow the days and whatnot, it stayed. It stayed with them. They did not let go of many things. So you might not see it in Christianity, but you will see some of the things remained in Judaism. I hope I answered the question, but I will definitely clarify it. When we get to studying the law, I will clarify as what is moved, what is stayed, and what did Moses change with time? All right, so as, as we finish off, I'm, I'm not sure, I think we're just gonna end at chapter 40, guys, 41 we'll do next week. So, you know, when I see this, it's, it's not your fault whether you get tempted or not. The problem is how you respond to it. That is the main problem. How do you respond to a temptation when you're faced in it? You can feel tempted. That is okay, we are human beings, but you still have a choice on whether you are going to go ahead with it or not. I mean, look at the fact he day after day, and this is because 
Temptation is designed to wear you down. It is designed to wear you down. And when we see Joseph, what's interesting is that Joseph did everything right. But the answer he got looked wrong because that he was still going to prison, regardless of how he fought, you know, for the truth. So doing the right thing can sometimes does not immediately yield good, good results. But in over time, you will see why it was good for you that you did the right thing. And when we go to 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her in her hand and had run out of the house, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, this, he this Hebrew has been, has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She left his cloak, she left his cloak beside her until his master came home. And when she told him the story, the Hebrew slave, she told him the story that the Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to make a uh, spot of me. But as soon as I screamed, she explains the story, which is a lie, obviously. When his master heard his story, the story that his wife told, um, uh, told him saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger like any husband would. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, mark that down. The Lord was with him. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So when the warden put Joseph in charge, so then the warden put Joseph in charge of all those people held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. Like it is everywhere. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever we did. It's seven o'clock. We'll just close off chapter 39 and uh, 40 and 41. And maybe two more chapters we'll do next week. But as I close, you know, we can ask so many questions. Why, why did God allow this? Why did God not cut it off? But you must always remember that the test is for the student. It's not for God. It's not for God. And God knows when you need, you know, you need to be trusted with small things before you can be trusted with the big things. And God was going to place the entire kingdom, not just Egypt. There was there was no food all over. So everyone was going to go to Joseph for answers. If he could not be trusted with small little things, was God going to trust him with the entire nation? The truth is little private relationships, if they are compromised, they end up polluting the whole country. You know, we're in this position today and I'll say as a country, but I know that Corruption is a social ill all over, but it's because the people that are in power, 
they have polluted the small little relationships in their small little corners. And when they get into positions of power, they still act that way because that's, that's how they do things. There is, there is tragedy when someone goes into a position of power and they cannot be trusted. So God could only use him greatly if he could wound him deeply and see how he responds to how God wounded him. I love how God accepts. And if you go to the next slide, in the book of Psalms 105, verse 17 to 19, God accepts that I tested, I, I tested um, Joseph. It was me, he says, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The, the word of the Lord tested him. He was, God agrees that I, I tested Joseph. And I, before I, I close off, I just want to say, even if you cannot see that God is there, even if you cannot feel like God is there, he is there. You know, there are no God forsaken people. And I always say this, God does not forsake people. People forsake God. And I'm going back to Snare's question. He does not forsake people. We say forsake God and we feel like, but God has forsaken us. No. What did you walk away from? What have you stopped doing? And, you know, I just want to close off by saying God is there. It doesn't matter how it looks, God is there. And I will close off at chapter 39. Because um, 40, 40 and 41, it's quite long chapters and I wouldn't want us to spend more time here. But thank you so much. And I will make a short prayer and send back to Sunday. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for allowing us, Father, to learn your word. We pray, God, that whatever we do in trying to know you, let it not be useless. Let us know you. Let us find you in your word. Let us find you everywhere we go and make this plant a seed somehow by this word. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for everything. And we thank you for your presence because you are always there with us, even when we do not feel your presence. And God, I ask that for each and everyone that is here, when there are times in life when they feel like you are not there, give them a sign. Give them a sign because the word that we just read now says that you showed kindness to Joseph. Give them a sign that you are with them so that we keep working and walking. Thank you, Lord. And thanks. Amen. Thanks, Anele. Over to you. Amen. Thank you so much, Cecilia, um, for the word today. I think it's one that will encourage all of us, you know, to know that God is with us at every step. God is with us in everything we do in our tests in our hurdles in everything we face um thank you to everyone for joining us this evening and for constantly supporting anchored in christ and for supporting all the things that we do we thank you um, and we appreciate the support may you all have a wonderful evening and we hope to see you next week at the same time thank you.